Would you turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, for the time in the Word this morning? I would invite you, if you are physically able, would you please stand out of the respect for the reading of God's Word? Luke 7, verse 18, it reads, The disciples of John reported all these things to him, and John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, and lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Let's stop there and pray for a moment again. Father, I now specifically ask for the time in your word that you would uh, just clear my thoughts and everything that's been studied to come out in the way that you would have it to come out to help people. Would you just convict our hearts and minds and focus our attention to the preaching of your word, and thank you for the privilege to be able to do this. In your son's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> I wanted to start by reading where we're going to be, but let me set some things up here. Uh, the title I have for you today is What to Do with Doubt. So what to do with doubt. There was a guy, graduates high school, goes to a two-year school, gets his degree, goes to a four-year school, starts to get a degree. About age... 20 or so, 21, is really questioning, is his faith real? Is Christianity real? And really questioning, what, what about my whole life? What, what about things that this guy's been taught, things he's been told he should believe, things he's been told he should do? But now this person is separated from family and everything that he grew up to know and understand and is in a different environment where not everybody believes the same way, thinks the same thoughts, shares the same values, what does he do? So he begins to question everything. Maybe my faith isn't real. Maybe Jesus isn't real. Maybe the Bible's not true. But by the grace of God, he works through that and he believes, sure as ever, yes, Jesus is real, the Bible's true, and goes about his business. But fast forward maybe two, three years, there's another problem. But what about challenges that these scientists now have? Isn't evolution true? Don't scientists say that they have the answers for everything? What about that? Well, by the grace of God, he works through that, he's okay. Fast forward maybe five, six years. Everything's been fine, but now a new problem. He starts to soak in this world is really, really evil. Like really, children die when they shouldn't die. People lose babies when they shouldn't lose their babies. People get cancer that should never have to deal with cancer. People die prematurely. People die in tragedies and accidents. It doesn't make any sense. Because if, if God is good and loving, why would he let this stuff happen? 
Well then, by the grace of God, he works through that. And fast forward, doing okay, but then something else. Now then, if you haven't guessed, but I'm talking about myself, that's been my experience. So now in youth ministry, I teach to youth from a position that I believe I'm pretty strong in my faith because it's been tested. I've had serious questions. I've had serious doubts. And through that, God has kept me in his grace. And now I teach to students that I try to impart that to. However, things the students have to deal with at times hit me back too. And I start to question again. If God is loving, if Jesus does what he says he does, why do so many kids, teenagers, have the lives they have at times? Some are good, but some deal with a lot of problems. It's not fair. Why is that? To be blunt, I don't have the answer. But here's where this is going. The point in me sharing all of that has been my experience and maybe some of yours. If you're a child of God and you've been so for any length of time, I would challenge you. You may say, yes, I agree. If not, I'm going to challenge you to think a little differently about something. You should experience doubts in your faith. Not disbelieve it, but have questions of doubts. Because it has been my experience, and I believe we're going to look at something here this morning that says this. As you grow in your faith, as you grow closer to the Lord, your faith will be tested. It'll either be tested with a circumstance, it'll be tested with questions you haven't thought of before and you don't know how to answer. It's going to be tested. You're going to be faced with a choice. Do you strengthen and grow from there? Overcome the doubt? Or will you be stuck in the doubt? Now what I want to show you is John the Baptist had doubts about Jesus. And if you know anything about John the Baptist, that should shock you. That John the Baptist, the last prophet of the Old Testament era, doubted everything he had been preaching about Jesus the Messiah. He had a crisis. And here in Luke 7, verse 18, I want to show you the process that John sort of goes through, but how he dealt with the doubt. And I believe there's a parallel for us. And when I look back at my own life that I shared with you, I can tell you I didn't know this stuff, but by the grace of God, it's what was happening. So this story is also found in Matthew 11, but I want to read from, from Luke's account. Let me share with you something that happened right before verse 18. So John the Baptist is born just before Jesus. They're cousins. John the Baptist had a very important mission. God called him to be a prophet, but not just any prophet. See, from the book of Malachi, if you look in your Bible, there's Malachi, and then it jumps to Matthew. And we call Malachi the end of the Old Testament. Matthew's the beginning of the New. What your Bible doesn't tell you, and you have to look at history to find, is almost 400 years are in between the book of Malachi and Matthew. Four centuries. For 400 years, the Jews had heard no word from the Lord. No prophet had come on the scene. No one had come about to say, I have a message from the Lord. There's healing. There's hope. For 400 years, there was silence from God. But then God calls John the Baptist to break the silence. His job is to be the last prophet before the Messiah. 
His job is to prepare everyone's hearts to receive the Messiah. So he goes and he does his business. He's preaching, prepare the way of the Lord. Here comes the Messiah. He sees Jesus and he'll say things like, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He loved Jesus. He preached Jesus. He would baptize people, preparing them for Jesus. Everything was about Jesus with his ministry. Then Jesus does his thing. He heals blind people, lepers, raises a few dead people, casts out a bunch of demons, doing everything that he is here to do as the Messiah, preaching the good news of the kingdom. Then Jesus has had a long ministry so far, a year and a half, maybe two years or so. He does the famous Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit and so on. Then he In Luke right here, if we back up at the first part, I won't read it word for word, but let me paraphrase it. Just in this chapter alone, Jesus is doing more miracles. In this chapter, he heals a Roman centurion servant, brings him back to full health. Then there's a widow's son who's died. And at the funeral procession, Jesus touches the casket and heals the widow's son right there. So there's no question Jesus is powerful Jesus is mighty. Some would dare say, hey, he really might be the Messiah that's come. John the Baptist was preaching this. John had witnessed all these things. But something had happened. John the Baptist preached against one guy, one of the Herods, one of the kings, who was not a good guy, a wicked guy. In fact, he had caused his brother's wife, so his sister-in-law, to leave his own brother and marry him. So this guy had gotten, basically stole his sister-in-law away from his own brother, ends up marrying her and just living life like that. That's the kind of guy he was. Well, John the Baptist looks at him and says, you're a Jew and that's against God's law. You're committing adultery. That's not right. Herod being the king says, you know what? I don't like people talking bad about me. I'm the king. I can do something about it. Throws him in jail. Now then, and I don't know how long, but for quite a while, John the Baptist, the great prophet that God has called to preach Jesus is sitting in jail, has no clue about his future, has no clue if he'll be released tomorrow and can go right back to preaching, has no clue if he'll die in prison, has no clue. But what he thought was he was doing the right things, preaching Jesus, fulfilling his call. But now he's been put in jail for doing what he thought were the right things, unsure of his future. So he's languishing in prison for about a year now, possibly. And what was his crime? Being faithful to the Lord, doing everything he was supposed to do. Now, I shared with you who John was, very important guy, the forerunner to Jesus, preaching Jesus, doing everything he's supposed to do. But now then, even a guy like John the Baptist is starting to have doubt. If you would look at verse 18, it says the disciples of John reported all these things to him. Now, what they mean by that little narration, all the miracles Jesus is doing. When John got arrested, Jesus went to another region and started doing miracles there. John's in prison and he has his own followers and they're acting as messengers. 
They're watching Jesus and they're going back to John saying, man, Jesus is awesome. He's done this, 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 raised this dead person, healed this blind person. But John's been sitting in prison for a year. He's supposed to be out there preaching Jesus too. And now look what he does. Calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus to ask a question. And his question to ask Jesus is, are you, Jesus, the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? I don't think I can put to words to you the force of that right there. John the Baptist, the great prophet, is literally questioning everything. His calling, has he been preaching the wrong Messiah? Is Jesus not the Messiah that he was supposed to be preaching? What is going on? So think about that. The guy who's done everything right, been preaching Jesus for a long time, now hits a point in his life where he says, I I have to know, Jesus, was I wrong about you? Was I preaching the wrong guy? What's going on here? He has doubt, severe doubt. His question was, are you the expected one or are you the coming one? Or shall we look for another? He's quite simply just asking, are you, are you seriously the Jewish Messiah that we've been waiting for? Please just tell me. Some things he would have in his mind is in the book of Micah, for example, it prophesied that there would be someone come from Bethlehem. Bethlehem was called too little to be numbered among the clans of Judah, but from you one will go forth to be the ruler of Israel. Zechariah says, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout in triumph. Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. He is endowed with salvation, humble, mounted on a donkey. Malachi says, behold, I'm going to send my messenger. He will clear the way before me and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming. That was even about John the Baptist. John the Baptist was prophesied about that he would come before the Messiah. John's born, then Jesus is born. Jesus said he was the Messiah. He does the things the Messiah does. He says the things the Messiah says, but John's in prison and he can't figure out what's going on. So he asked them again, Jesus, was I wrong about you? What's the deal? And I like, again, how he ends, shall we look for another? I don't think he was rude. He just has a problem in his mind that he can't sort out. If he was preaching the way God wanted him to preach about Jesus, doing what God wanted him to do, why is he sitting in prison? And he has no clue what's about to happen to him. So he just goes to Jesus. Was I wrong? Should I look for someone else that's coming after you? Did did we get the prophecies wrong a little bit? Is the timing off? Is it just coincidence that you can happen to raise dead people? Can you just help me figure this out? So that's his doubt. Let me pause for a moment and let's think for a moment here. Why do we have doubts sometime? And I mean doubts in our faith. I think from this story, there's a few things to see. It could be because you're in a horrible situation. That's John's point. John is languishing in a prison and he has no clue his future. Yet he is supposed to be a beloved prophet of God. Shouldn't he be taken care of? But he's not. He's in prison And he can't figure out how this is possible. He's in a horrible situation. It could be the same for us. We're living our Christian life. We're doing the things we can as best we can, being as faithful as we can be. Not perfect, but being faithful. But all of a sudden, something enters into your life that you never accounted for, 
and you can't grapple with how could this happen? I thought God was on my side. How could this loved one die? How could this loved one be sick with this cancer? How could this baby have died? How could so-and-so have this problem going on? Or how could I have this going on? God, I thought you loved me. I thought you cared for me. That's sort of John's mindset. God, I thought I was your guy, but I'm in prison. Could be a horrible situation. The other thing it could be is a lack of the full story. And here's what I mean by that. John's been in prison for a year. No cell phones back then, no electronics. Everything he hears about Jesus is secondhand information. It's his messengers coming back and forth telling him reports. I say that because of this. It could be part of John's problem is he was so distant from Jesus physically. Jesus is over here and John's in jail. He can't go, he can't go to Jesus, he can't see Jesus and sort of have his faith reassured. He has to hear things secondhand. He's getting portions of the story. He's getting a piece of the puzzle, but not the whole picture. What's the point here? It could be at times, and I'm speaking about myself here, when I look back at my life and the times I've had doubts, especially at the early onset, those were times in my life where I was too busy for God. I was not in the word. I was not praying. I might've been in church. I might've been doing things decently, but I wasn't really laser focused on my spiritual growth. And what happened is that's when all of a sudden the mind can begin to wonder, well, maybe God is not who I thought he was. Maybe I'm not who I thought I was. Maybe Jesus is who I thought he was. Because we're not focused on the things we should be focused on. John is in prison. His mind is wondering. His mind is not where it should be. His mind is not focused on being able to see Jesus. He can't. He's getting things secondhand, and it's probably troubling him. So another reason, I think this is a big one, unfulfilled expectations. John, I believe, had a certain expectation for his life. He knew he was called by God to be the prophet. Yes, he lived poor. He knew that. I don't think he cared. It says he sort of willfully went off into the wilderness to live and eat the locusts and the bugs and all that. I don't read where anyone forced him to do that. It just says he did it. John was following the Lord. He had disciples. He was baptizing people. He was publicly ministering. He was doing what he was supposed to be doing. He probably had a certain expectation of his path. I'm going to preach Jesus. Jesus is going to come. I'll keep preaching Jesus. Jesus will march his way to the cross, but I'll be by his side every step of the way. But all of a sudden, that gets interrupted. He's thrown in prison. And to be honest and fast forward, if you know the story, he actually gets killed. He doesn't come out of prison. So his expectations were not met. He had a different picture of how his life should look because of who he was to God. I would challenge us that also could be a problem of why we face doubts in our faith sometime. Maybe we have a certain plan for our lives. We think our life, I'll go to school and major in this, or I'll go do that. I'll work here for 20, 30, 40 years. I can retire with X amount of money, and I'll live this in retirement. We have it all mapped out. And the Bible says it's good to plan. But always be open for God to change the plan. So we can have a certain expectation of my life will look like this over the next 10 years and 20 years. Ministers do it too. I'll minister here. I can try to do this. I can try to learn that. And maybe God's called me to this and I can go over here and do that. But then something happens and it just doesn't work out. 
And then you start to question, God, I thought you called me to do something, but it's not working out. What's happening? And doubt sets in. It could be for your children, like my kids will grow up, they'll do this, we've been planning everything out, they're going to go to college or they're going to go work here, we're going to help them get to where we want them to get and how we want them to be. But then they turn 18 and become a legal adult and that might not be how it works out. You start to say, God, I, what is happening? This is not how I mapped out their life, this is how I mapped out my life, what's going on? Or it's just a terrible situation hits you. A sickness, a disease, a family member struggling with something that you just can't understand. And doubt sets in. Because we have a certain expectation that if we're God's children and if we're faithful, God should work everything out for us. Life shouldn't be tough. It shouldn't have any challenges. It should all just be smooth. That was John's view. I'm the forerunner. God loves me. I love him. This is how it'll look. But he didn't account for being thrown in prison. So now doubt sets in. Same for us. But now here's what I want to focus on. How did John handle it? John could have sat in prison and said, you know what? Forget this Jesus guy. I think he's probably a liar anyways. I think he's a phony. In fact, maybe I hate the guy. I don't want anything to do with him. He could have said that. He could have you know, raised his fist to God and said, God, maybe you're not even real. Maybe this has all just been a big joke and I've wasted my life. And maybe I should go to Herod and apologize for everything, tell him how stupid I was. And I, I'm, you know, forget this God stuff, Herod. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm, I'm just going to go live my life. Just let me out of here. He could have done all of that. But look what he did. He, in verse 19, I want to point out there's something very important by the simple verse 19. He sends his disciples to Jesus to ask a question. Are you the guy? Are you the one? Why is that important? Because that is John's way of taking his own doubts about Jesus to Jesus himself. That's the point I want to stress. What did John do when doubt set in about his faith, about God, about Jesus? He went to the source the only source he knew could clear it up. John didn't say, let me get a bunch of historians, a bunch of scientists, a bunch of whatever, and maybe they'll help me figure it out. He says, I'm having doubts about Jesus. Let me just ask him. Maybe he can tell me something that helps clear this up. He still had enough respect for Jesus, enough belief in Jesus to think Jesus could help him with his doubt. Again, I will keep on stressing, John took his doubts to the Lord. That's the idea. The fact that he even asked Jesus to help him with his doubt showed he still had enough faith to go to him in the first place. So I want to take a point here to say there's a difference in doubt and unbelief. I said to you earlier, I think it, at times it could be healthy for us to go through some doubts. Not all the time and not long term, but I believe... It's my conviction here. James says our faith will be tested. We a lot of times think that means through a bad situation. That's true. But I also think it could just simply be a mental thing. You're living your life, but someone asks you a question you don't know how to answer about well, why do you believe in Jesus? Wow. Well, I mean, maybe I've never thought of that. Maybe I don't know an answer. Maybe this, what do I do with this? Maybe it's, like I said, a bad medical situation or whatever comes your way. And now you start to think this isn't how I thought this was supposed to work for a Christian. What's going on? Do what John did, though. John did not move away from God. He went more to God. He said, God, I don't understand my situation. 
I don't get why this is happening to me, and it doesn't make sense to me, but I trust you enough to be able to help me with an answer. That is doubt versus unbelief. Unbelief would simply say, I don't believe any of this at all. Maybe I never believed it, but I'll have nothing to do with it. There's a difference in doubt and unbelief. When I look back at my life, I shared with you briefly when I was in my college days, I had a lot of doubt. But by the grace of God, I can tell you, I never once just completely not believed. I just had questions I couldn't answer. I had things in my mind I couldn't work out about how to know the Bible's real and that Jesus really rose again from the dead. But once I went to God, God helped me with this. My professors are asking questions I've never been asked. I don't understand. Now I'm having doubts. What do I do? Go to God, go to the Lord. There is answers. That's what John did. Jesus, I thought something should be different in my life, but it's not. Are you the guy? Have I messed up? But the point is he went to Jesus. He didn't go to anywhere else. He went to Jesus. So you can have doubt and you can do something with doubt. Unbelief is you need to believe in the first place and come to faith in Christ. But as a Christian, you could have doubts. You don't understand something, but you still have enough faith to know God must have an answer somewhere. It's like the guy in Mark chapter nine, I believe it is. He had a son with probably what we would call epilepsy and he can't get his son. The doctors can't heal his son and demon possessed too, probably. He goes to Jesus and says, can you help my son? Your disciples couldn't cast out this demon or, or fix whatever's wrong. And Jesus asked him, if you have faith, anything can be fixed. And the guy said this phrase, I love it. He said, I believe, but help my unbelief. He believed enough to go to Jesus with his son, but still had struggles with, but I don't know how this is going to work out. But he went to Jesus. He knew enough about Jesus that he could help. John did the same. He didn't understand, but he went to Jesus. So verse 21, look at what Jesus did. Here's how he answered. So in verse 20, excuse me, when the men had come to him, that's Jesus, they tell him. John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Verse 21. Now, Jesus could have, I like to think about what could have happened when I read the Bible. Jesus could have said, you know what? Forget that guy. He's supposed to be my forerunner. Why is he doubting me? Doesn't he know who I am? He could have really come down on John. Like you go tell John he needs to get his act together and have some faith. That's an inappropriate question to ask the Son of God. How dare he question if I am who I say I am? But look what he did. In verse 21, in that same moment, in that same hour, he, that's Jesus, healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered John's disciples, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. What did Jesus do? He gave John's disciples a show, but, but a show on purpose with a good reason. He said, hold on a second. Let me give you something to tell John by watching me do some things. So he did some miracles. The reason he did that is he was fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. Remember who John the Baptist is. John the Baptist believes the Old Testament is an Old Testament prophet himself from that era at least. 
So he's in the lineage of that. He knows all the prophecies about what the Messiah will do when he comes. Places in Isaiah, like Isaiah 61, and on and on we could go, where Jesus, it is said when the Messiah comes, yes, he'll preach salvation, but one of the proofs that he's really from God is he'll do a lot of miracles. He'll even raise dead people. So it was prophesied long ago. So Jesus took John's disciples and said, let me prove to you I am who I say I am. He heals blind people, heals leper people, casts out demons. Then he says, you go back and tell John what you saw. Why? Because John would have understood, okay, that is a fulfillment of prophecy that only the Messiah could do. Verse 22, um, he answered them, go and tell John what you've seen and heard. Or excuse me, verse 24, let me jump down. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind. What did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothes. Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you more than a prophet. This is of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. So he shows John's disciples a bunch of miracles to show he's fulfilling prophecy. They go back to John. While they're gone, Jesus turns to the crowd and says, let me tell you what I think about John the Baptist. Once again, I like to ask, what could he have said? He could have called him a dirty dog and all these names under the sun because he doubted him and he had weakness of faith and he needed more evidence. What did he say? He said, there's not a greater man that's been born of a woman than John the Baptist. He spoke highly of John. So my point is this. John, someone like that had doubts. You had better believe you and I will too. Our faith will be tested. The question is, what do we do with those doubts? Do what John did. John had enough respect and faith in the Lord to take his problems, his doubts to the Lord himself. And when he did, I challenge us to think God will do the same for us. I don't believe God will ever look at you if he could talk to you from heaven and you were to pray, God, I, I believe, but I have unbelief about this over here. I just don't believe God would ever look at us and say, you know what? You're really stupid. Like you, you mean you're asking me about that? No, what will he do? Same thing Jesus did for John. I can attest to you in my own experience, God came through for me. No, I didn't hear a voice from heaven, but I prayed, I prayed hard. God, I have questions about the Bible, questions about Jesus. I have questions I don't have answers to, but I believed, but help my unbelief. And through about a three-year process, the answers came pouring in. And after about a three-year process, I was more sure than ever that God is with me, Jesus is real, the Bible's true. Later on, I've struggled deeply about the problem of evil. Why is there so much evil? And I know the theological answer because of sin and the fall in the garden, and I get all that. But I mean personally. When you have had to see someone struggle with cancer or someone lose a child, then it becomes real. And you start to question, God, how could this happen? What's going on? Take that to the Lord. Answers come through. He answers our doubts. He answers what we're struggling with, just like he did with John the Baptist. When they asked, Jesus gave the proof. He showed him, here's what to tell John, that I'm the Messiah. I believe more than ever, Jesus will not rebuke you if you have doubts and you pray about that. Jesus will help you like he helped John. 
If you go to Jesus with sincere doubts, that's the thing, sincere. John had a sincere doubt and he went to Jesus with sincerity. I've met people who claim they're trying to find answers, but when you talk to them, they're really just trying to argue. There's a difference. John didn't go to Jesus to start a fight. He went to Jesus for help. That's the key. If you have doubts, that's fine, but go to God in sincerity and say, God, I don't understand what's going on in my life. Can you help me sort this out? Help me understand what's going on. Jesus comforted John, gave him the evidence he needs. John trusted Jesus enough to help him with his doubts. And again, I wanna stress, you and I will, I believe until we physically pass from this earth, you'll have seasons of doubt. I believe they come in waves. I don't know if it's so many years or anything like that, but I truly, I truly believe if I keep living until I'm 70, 80, whatever, I'm gonna still have seasons of doubts. I'm gonna have something come up that I haven't dealt with yet and I'm not gonna understand it at first. Doesn't mean I'm gonna question my faith and recount Jesus, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I'll be like John, like Jesus, I believe you, but I don't understand how this can happen. Help me figure this out. You'll have it too. Your kids will have it, you'll have it, something will happen you don't understand, something will happen that you didn't think should happen and you'll be forced to figure out, well, I thought God was on my side, what do I do with this? Do what John did, take it straight to the Lord, pray about it in sincerity. Lord, help me with my unbelief, help me with my doubt. John trusted Jesus to help him. Jesus took John's doubts serious too. He didn't make fun of them, didn't call him stupid. I believe God takes our doubts serious too. For those who want help, I believe God gives help. But for those who are lying about it and just trying to start a fight, I don't know that there's help there. But if you're a child of God and you have doubts, God's there to help, but you gotta go to him in sincerity. Some of you, like the youth we're sharing in about 2021, some of you might say, you know what, if I were to share about my 2021, it's not all nice and roses. You might could tell stories of, uh, well, this happened in my family and it was terrible, or this happened with my job and it was terrible, or this happened with my finances, it was terrible, or this happened with my health, on and on it could go. Of all the terrible things that people have had in 2021, you might say, you know what, and if I'm honest, my faith is really shaky right now. I am not sure where God's at. I thought he was right here with me, but 2021 has shown me, I don't know where he is. Maybe you have doubts because you've had a wrong idea of Jesus. Maybe you've thought, well, if Jesus is my savior, then he will do ABC for me. But it hasn't happened yet. And you might be thinking, well, maybe Jesus isn't who I thought he was. But that's it. Maybe he's not who you thought he was because you've had a wrong idea of Jesus. That's what John was slipping into. Maybe you've had doubts because, and I believe this is the one we'll deal with the most, like I said, we get a wrong expectation of what God should be doing for us. I don't think we say this audibly, and in preacher talk for ministers, when we talk kind of privately, we, we do talk about other pastors. Let's just, I'm gonna be honest. We talk about each other. And what we do is, not really here locally, maybe, but TV preachers. You get guys like Joel Osteen, Creflo Dollar, on I could go, that are big about massive churches. What's wrong with them? The gospel isn't there, and when they preach, it's all about, look at all the wonderful things God wants to do in your life. God just wants to give you wealth, health, prosperity. I mean, Joel Osteen even had a book years ago, Your Best Life Now, all about how you can tap in to God's resources to give you your best life now. 
The Bible says our best life is yet to come. There's a disconnect. The reason I'm sharing that is I think we might even say in churches like ours where we're pretty biblically faithful, we might look at a Joel Osteen or a Creflo Dollar and say, well, I mean, I would never believe that. Those guys are out there. But if we're honest, we might not ever audibly say it. I think we all have an expectation of what God should be doing for our lives. He should make sure my job stays steady. He should make sure my retirement account is at a certain level when I'm ready to retire. He should make sure my kids never have to go to the hospital. He should make sure that my kids, maybe even you have it mapped out, they should go in a certain career field. But that's not how God works. So when things happen that we didn't plan for, that's when doubt can set in. So I would challenge us, take those to God. Have we had a wrong expectation of what we think God should be doing for us? But take that stuff to the Lord. Pray about them. How do you take them to the Lord? We can't be like John and send messengers to Jesus, but you and I have direct access to the Lord through prayer. Is God gonna respond from heaven with an audible voice? I don't believe so. I'm not saying he can't, but I don't believe he will. But what I do believe he'll do is if you're sincere about God, this happened in my life, I don't understand it, I need help. He'll get you an answer. It'll be a person comes your way, says just the right thing at the right time. It'll be something that changes or happens or comes your way. Then you'll say, this had to have been God. Now I understand. Some of you may have doubts, but some of you may say, you know, I've never doubted. I've never had a problem with this. Well, I'm grateful for that, but I do want to challenge you. I believe you should be on your guard because it will happen. I really believe that. You may have never had doubts yet in your faith, but that just means your faith isn't ready yet to be tested. That's in the book of James. When you have a faith ready to be tested, it will be tested. Why? Because if you're never tested, you never know how far you can go. I use this analogy all the time, but I think it fits. But I like to talk about working out in the gym. If you never overload your muscles with more weight than they can handle, they never grow any stronger. That's what happens with our faith. If your faith is never at a point where it's a little overloaded, it's stretched, it'll never grow. Doubt will set in, but that's okay. Take it to the Lord. Go directly to the one your faith is in. I do wanna say, maybe some are here and, and you're struggling with, but maybe it's just unbelief. As I said earlier, there's a difference in doubt and unbelief. Doubt can be healthy, doubt can grow you. Unbelief is not healthy. Unbelief says, I just don't believe this at all. And it may have taken a situation that you're in to bring that out, that you've been playing church, you've been playing Christian, but then a situation comes and you're gone. You say, well, this wasn't ever real to me anyways. That would be unbelief. Unbelief is for non-Christians. Doubt is for Christians. There's a difference. You can doubt at times, but you can't stay in unbelief. So I wanna stress again, maybe for some, if you have repetitive times of just outright unbelief, then maybe you don't really know Jesus the way you should. Maybe you don't know him as your Lord and Savior from your sins, who's died for you, and by faith in him, you can be saved. John believed that, but still had doubts. A non-Christian might say they believe certain things, but when the pressure's on, they're gone. That was unbelief. So don't stay in unbelief. You can stay in doubt for a season, but take it to the Lord. And I really believe he'll give you the answers. I'd just like to have a time for Jan to come if she'll just play. If you'll stand, I don't wanna drag out an invitation, but I wanna give you a moment to reflect where you are as Jan plays. 
And I want to challenge you before you leave here today. Maybe where you are, just silently ask God, and you probably know it without having to think. What are areas of your life, if you reflect on 2021 or more, you know, God, if I'm honest, this thing here in my life or this that's happened, it's really rocked my faith. I'm not really sure what to do with this. If I'm honest, maybe I've even wondered if I'm going through emotions. Call that out to God now. I promise you answers will come soon.